Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey, everyone. All right, I'm here. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still surviving in the corona era. It is mid-April 2020. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm hunkered down at home. It's like, really, there's nothing to do. Actually, there's a ton to do. And uh, the finish line will someday appear. But as our guest today, the amazing Mike Riley... Um, longtime announcer for Ironman triathlon events around the world says the finish line just keeps getting pushed back, but we know it's going to be there someday. Um, the problem is that while we're waiting in limbo, we're feeling a little bit out of control. (laughs) We're feeling a little bit, um, maybe despondent at times. And, um, We're just not quite sure what to do. So I know I'm not speaking for everybody out there. Some of you have like the most amazing purpose right now. And, uh, and I applaud that. And I invite you to loudly speak. So the others out there that, that we can gain some strength from what you're doing. You know, what, what Mike says in the interview today is that adversity introduces you to yourself. And what I say to that is, why not make this an opportunity to look in the mirror and decide how you want to show up in the world? Um, You may look at yourself and say, you know what? I'm not feeling so awesome about this one part of myself. And maybe this is the time, this is the moment that I have to change that. Because guess what? We all have a little more time right now. Nobody's commuting anymore. At least you got about, you know, a half hour to an hour extra a day for that. Um, Today's guest, Mike, he is an old friend. Um, He has welcomed Tim and I home in many races over the years, including the big races that we both won. We feel very connected to him. There's a deep bond that you have when with people who have been involved with huge events in your life. I think you all understand that concept. And even though we don't hang out with Mike, we feel very connected to him. And I think the really special gift about Mike Riley is that everyone who, who touches, everyone he touches feels connected to him too probably hundreds of thousands of athletes that he's called across the line all feel like they call him friend. Um, And that's a really beautiful thing in this world. He is a person who helps people celebrate big, huge successes. He helps them, you know, pin the nail on, you know, he's the one who's standing there calling out these four words that many triathletes dream dream about hearing their entire lives. You are an Iron Man. Yes, Mike. I just said it. (laughs) We talk all about that phrase and more today. Um, At the end of the day, Mike's an awesome guy. 
You're going to love this interview. It's probably going to make you want to go out there and do an Ironman. It's definitely going to make you want to go buy his book. It's called Finding My Voice. You need to get it. It's going to bring you joy and inspiration, which is something we all need right now and forever. All right, everybody, let's make it a short intro today and uh, let's head right into the main act. Let's bring Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man, on the show. So, Mike, uh, I've been wanting to interview you for years. I feel like you've interviewed me a lot of times at the end of a race. And um, I wanted to start this one by doing, I'm going to try something different here. I'm going to do a little screen share. So hang on. And I want you to watch something because we share a lot of history. Okay. And everybody listening, you're going to listen to this. You ready? There she is, Nicole DeBoom, your Ironman champion. She had a game plan. She stuck with it. It paid off, and now she has one to join her husband, Tim, as an Ironman champion. I went through a bunch of downs on the bike, and I just hung in there. Tried to trick my body, and on the run, I just maybe, I don't know if I went too hard at the beginning, but, um, you know, I held on, so that was good. But, man, I'm exhausted. I'm just, I need a nap. Are you dying? I need need a nap. (laughs) I think that might be the, that just reminded me because I do remember that. And I don't think anybody has ever said that coming across the finish line in first position. I need a nap. (laughs) I don't think, you know, somebody may copy it now. You never know, Nicole. (laughs) I won. It was the greatest. I need a nap. It was I should have made your book, the I Need a Nap chapter. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a classic. Oh, my gosh. It's just so cool. You know, I pulled that up this morning. I'm like, I wonder if Mike's in this video. And that's like the actual TV coverage. And there you were, like, standing right at the finish line. And then, like, running, I don't know, running around. Like, it just felt very personal. And I just, I've I've been thinking about you a lot in um, anticipation of this conversation and the important role you play in so many athletes' lives without, I mean, I think you realize it, but maybe you just need to be told again, like you are so important in the experience that you create for people. And you did that for me. So thank you. Well, that's, uh, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. And it is, you know, every time someone like yourself, who I have so much respect for says that to me, it's humbling. I, I don't, I don't think about that as part of my genre or what I do. And I, I just think about the athletes, the event, the sponsors, the race director. You know, I'm taking care of what's around me and and what's making it all possible that these dreams come true at the finish line. And so to be able to stand there and enhance somebody's life a little bit more or make them smile a little bit more, I mean, I don't think there's a greater thing we can do in our lives than try to make someone else a bit happier. And that's what I discovered long ago when I when I would say their name and they'd, they'd stand up straight and they'd perk up and all of a sudden I'd say those four words to them afterwards and it's like their world just culminated at that point. It's just, it's humbling. You know, I, um, I finished your book. I should have Thank you. read it like right when it came out, but I read it when I decided I was going to interview you. Um, and 
this, I know you, you post so it like posts, you wrote about so many stories and experiences and these connections you have with people. And what I know is that this is only a fraction of what you're yeah. surrounded by in your life. Like you just pulled out some, you know, gems, right? But everyone's really a gem and they're positive and they're heartbreaking at times. But what the thread of the story to me is that somehow you're able to help people dial back and find that positivity, which leads to happiness no matter what they're going through in their lives. And there's this like beautiful pinnacle of a finish line that people can use as a benchmark or a celebration point, And you are the face associated with that finish line. I mean, that's amazing. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that whole concept? Well, I think it's, it's not only the finish line, Nicole, it's, it's them making that huge commitment to even do swim, bike, run. I don't care if it's a sprint, uh, Olympic, 70.3, whatever. They made that commitment to put their toes in the water, so to speak. And that journey of them thinking about the finish line, and obviously I'm associated with the finish line, so people have sent me messages. Mike, I was out for an 80-mile ride today, and I was just going over what you were going to say to me over and over and over. You know, so I'm that focal point besides the arch. And, and they just are wondering what I'm going to say to them besides you are an Ironman. A lot of them can repeat exactly what I said. And uh, it, it is, it's, uh, but it's about that journey. It's about, and, and I wrote it in my book. It's not really about me, you know, as they cross that finish line, acknowledging that they finished a race. It's about who they became. It changes people. It's who they become. And, uh, I, and I know there's somebody else different than when they started on the journey. So I, all I'm doing is acknowledging that maybe that new human coming across the line, the one that now has more confidence, the one that maybe was told all their life, you can't do this. You know, they were pushed down and then they made the decision to push themselves up and they get to that finish line and they're another person, Nicole. They really are. You know, I kind of want to bring this into our current context. I, I have a feeling we're going to go all over the place today. Okay. Um, we are sitting in our homes because we're not really allowed to go do anything right now because we're living in this corona era of life. And no matter when you listen to this, uh, that's what we're in. We're sitting here in April of 2020 in the middle of stay-at-home orders, which have you know pretty much been put in place all over the country and not exactly knowing what's if there is a finish line like we think there is but when when it's going to happen we're not sure and so i'm thinking about this concept of like being take this concept of going through an experience right now and who you can become on the other side i think a lot of people are feeling anxiety and worry and fear they might be losing their jobs all kinds of things are going on but you know maybe you can speak a little bit to what are some of the things you've learned through this Ironman experience over the years that people could be using so that they come out the other side of this, potentially a, a better ch a person who's been changed for the better? It, it really, truly to me is living on the inside. Our support network of going to events or just going and see friends at the grocery store or going for workouts or going to the school PTA and seeing friends. We don't have that network that 
that fills us during the days and the weeks and the months of the year. So we're not, we're not being able to go to an event with 3,000 participants and knowing that so many of our friends are going to be there. So we've got to live We've got to live on the inside. We've got to take care of ourselves. And it's hard to do sometimes because people need that fulfillment. They need that, that uh, confidence that somebody else can give them. Well, I say to everybody, guess what? We got to give it to ourselves. We, yeah, I, yeah, I actually talk to myself. I'll go out in the garage and lift some weights and go, all right, what are you feeling down for? What, what's bothering you? Yeah, so you can't go for a ride today because it's raining. Or you can't go be with your grandchildren. I, it, that all sucks. But I'm not the only one in that boat. There's, you know, everybody's in that boat. I mean, literally everybody. And the friends I talk to from New Zealand, Australia, Europe, I mean, we're all, we're all in the same world in the same boat. So... What I say is, you know, adversity introduces you to yourself and you got to make sure that self is taken care of and you're the one that's got to do it. You, you really have to step up more than going and talking to your sister who always used to give you great advice or you can still do that on the phone and stuff, but there's no hugs. There's no kisses. There's no, you know, affection that way. So we, we just kind of have to pull ourselves up more than we ever have before. You know, it's interesting because the first thing I think of too, oh my gosh, we're going to have a special guest. I, I heard there was guest. a fellow Hall of Famer in here. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's the Hall of Fame. <laughs> How you doing, Mike? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I just had to bust in and say, hey. Well, I heard, I heard you've got the whole curriculum down. I'm you've working on the, it. PE and the reading and uh, how you doing with the numbers on the math? <laughs> you know, she's, she's a whiz at math. I, I think uh, she'll come out a little fitter than she was and yeah. maybe she'll have a little more guitar skills when she's done. Other than that, I can't vouch for anything. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, what, what they say is they're going to go back to school and the teachers are going to go, oh my God, the parents pushed them further than I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's very true. I know. <laughs> well, I it's just wanted to say hi. Daughter. Well, I appreciate that, bud. Okay. Take care, Mike. All right. Aloha. <laughs> oh, that was sweet. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, I you remember know, when that, I was... you know, when we were together in Kona when, when he was inducted last year, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and that was one of my biggest thrills, Nicole, to be able to see you guys because th that's the tough part for me. I'm still in the game. I'm at the finish lines. If people go away and they kind of retire, but we had this connection it could be five, six, eight years before I see him. The same happened with like Lori Bowden when she came and, and when Peter Reed was inducted and I'm going, oh my gosh. And we had such great times together during the time. Uh, and it's kind of sad for me that I don't get to see everybody, but I do know deep down we're, we're friends for life. So that's what counts. I mean, that's the thing about you is like you're actually best friends forever with thousands, tens of thousands of people. I mean, we personally feel very connected to you. So I totally understand that. I do. So I mean, we appreciate it too. As a highlight for us was to see you at the Iron Kids race this year as well. Ironman Boulder. Yeah. And Wilder yeah. got to meet you. I remember that. And I then know. of course, knowing that we were going to get to see you in Kona is so awesome. You know, so, okay. Now going back to what, <laughs> before yeah. the big legend interrupted us. Um, you know, what you're saying is like, we've got to live inside and find ways to pull ourselves up. And I think one of the scary things for people is that when we are faced with 
just really being with ourselves, we have to ask if we really like ourselves. And we have to face some of the things maybe we don't like about ourselves and then determine if really we have the strength to change them. So I wondered, you know, with, you know, in your world, you're like, I go out and talk to myself. <laughs> I love that idea. I want to put like a little video cam in your weight room and hear you talking to yourself. But like, how do people, do you have any thoughts for people who are kind of grappling with this? Like, oh my gosh, I have nothing else to do. I may as well go ahead and tackle that stuff that I've been putting off my own deep, dark problems, you know, that for many people can be much harder right now and deeper and darker than ever. So how do we get them out of that rut and into a place of positivity? Well, there's things in our world we know we cannot change. That's just, that's part of our world. But, you know, you, you've, just like the prayer says, you've got to have the courage to change the things you, you know you can and the wisdom to know the difference. When you're trying to change things around you that's not, not, not in your control, it, it pulls down your attitude. You, you lose your positive attitude. And I say this to people when they're in the water and they're getting in the water and they're scared as heck that they're going to go do an Ironman. I go, Hey everybody, cause it could be raining. It could be windy. The forecast could be cold, whatever is surrounding us. And I say, we've only got control. And I do this as much for me, Nicole, as I do anybody else. Cause it's going to be a long day. And I say, we've only got control over one thing and one thing only all the external forces that are around us right now. We don't have control over that, but we do have control over our attitude. And if we take care of it, it'll take care of us. I truly believe that. That great attitude gets people, hundreds of thousands of people, to a finish line 140 miles away that they never thought possible a few years prior, sometimes a year prior. Yet, if they keep that positive attitude and know those forces outside their control, is what they can't control when they start controlling what they can, which is themselves, good things happen. They really do. I mean, we're really the cause of our own experiences. A hundred percent. I believe that. Sure, you could get rear-ended driving your car and, you know, you, you that, but if you live by the premise that we're the cause of our own experiences, it'll create a much more responsible world around us and we'll take responsibility for who we are. And that's how you start self-improving. That's how you, you know, if you take responsibility for what you say and do, that's a tough thing to do. It, it's a very tough thing to do. If, if you made a mistake and you admit to it, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It, I believe you're a failure if you don't admit to that mistake because you'll make it again, for goodness sake. So it, it, we've got to control that world around us uh, that we have control over. And I think that's how we start the self-improvement process, by realizing that we are responsible for our action, 100%. You know, you are so much more than the job you do. <laughs> but, people, <laughs> but people know you for the job you do, right? Um, you want a little secret? I don't, I, don't, I don't really call it a job, so don't tell anybody. You know, it's not like work. <laughs> what do you call it? I call it just playing, playing with my passion and, and just being with, with another family besides my own family. I mean, it's not like sitting in a cube, you know, pecking away at a computer all day. And I'm not taking that away from any, anybody that does that. But when they say a job, it kind of says to me like, oh, I have to go do this. And, 
and when the clock is done after so many hours, I go home. That's not, that's how I don't, I don't look at this that way. Sorry to break up your question. No, I mean, this is perfect because it, it, many people struggle their whole life to try to find the thing that brings them the most joy, happiness, purpose. I mean, would you say that you have found your calling? Yeah, I always knew I want, I'd, I'd love to speak and public speak and talk in front of people. I enjoyed sales. So, you know, besides this career, uh, obviously I was a shoe rep. I, I did so, I've done so many things in the endurance sports industry, helped start active.com. And, you know, I, I did a lot of things in the industry and I sold a lot of stuff. Uh, and that was one job. And this was my passion job. So uh, I, I got to mix the two. But truly, if, if we would say, hey, Mike, at the end of your career, which I hope never happens, uh, what, what, what was the thing that fulfilled you? And it was definitely this. Nothing. This, it was, this is it. I mean, maybe you should just quit now. <laughs> 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 it doesn't get much better. I'm just laughing because it's like, you know, this idea of retiring at this point of time in your life or being done when you like hit the ringer, right? You're like, oh, I won my, I had my best race in my life. I won the big one and now I'm going to be done. Like that very rarely happens. I think maybe Mark Allen might've done that. I can't remember, yeah. but I mean, Tim DeBoom certainly didn't. You know, he went up the bell curve. He ex had some wonderful years and then he went down the other side and had to go through all the things that that brings. And, you know, I've experienced that too in my life in business and sport. But, you know, I think that's a, it's, a, it's just an interesting concept to maybe share with some people too who are out there who are dealing with, with like, questions, especially those who've been maybe let go in their jobs right now, because a lot of people I know have, or they've been put on furlough. Like, what should they be doing right now? Following their passion? Well, that might not pay the bills. It, 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 it's a tough, it's a very difficult road, especially when the income goes away. W what that ends up doing is start creating a desperation in you you haven't felt before. And when you're desperate, people do desperate things. All I say is, you know what? Try to stay on even keel. We are going to get through this. If you don't have enough money saved up to be able to take care of yourself and your family, uh, I, you know, there's friends network, there's parents network. You got to do whatever you need to do. And, and that's what people are doing. They're doing whatever they need to do to make sure everybody's safe and healthy and happy till we get through this. But, but we're all at different levels of, I, I hate to use the word suffering. We're all at different levels of where we're at with this coronavirus. And while one is, could be worse than the other, we really have to deal with our own world. So I, I, I say to everybody, you know what? I, just what I say to myself, there, there is another side, other side to this, and we're going to get to it. The tough part is we don't know where our finish line is at. We're running that damn race, and that finish line, it, it's moving on us now. I mean, and is the finish line in May, June, July, August? Nobody, nobody knows. And then once we get to that finish line, there's the recovery period. It's going to be much longer. We're going to be hurting much longer. 
after we finish this. So uh, it's, I, I wish I had the magic words, and, but all I can say is what I say to myself. I got to believe there's a finish line coming, and I'm going to stay strong day by day, not looking like what's happening next Wednesday, but day by day until we get to that finish line. Isn't it interesting how we athletes use like our training to basically inform all the different periods of our life? We're like, okay, so we're in our base training right now. We're kind of hunkered down, might be the off season. And then we're going to start going again, but then, you know, we're going to have some recovery. But that's truly how I feel about it. I mean, we train our bodies to be fit and strong and those same concepts apply to real life. Don't you think? Well, we've preached for so long of, of what working out and staying fit physically and mentally does for one. Keeps you stronger in your relationships, in your job, as a parent, so many things. So isn't it funny, Nicole, how now during this pandemic, you're seeing more people walk their dogs or riding the bikes with the kids. Or I, I saw a couple of women walk by the house today I've never seen before. And we live in a community where... I, you kind of know everybody and I go, where'd they come from? I've never seen them before. So <laughs> it, 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 and, and some people who look like they've never worked out in their entire lives and I'm not putting them down, but I'm going, well, good. They're out here and they're being active. And the reason they're doing that is so they can cope. Somehow they go for that walk and they feel a little better. They go home and go, all right, that's not bad. Well, we've been preaching that for years. And now the public are finding out that those acts of a physical nature is helping them mentally. The, the mom and dad's riding with their kids where maybe they rode with them once a month. If that, they're doing it every other day. I mean, there's good things coming out of this on, on making sure our relationships are solid and, and healthy. Uh, and people going, you know what? I can get out and walk around the block. Why the heck am I watching my fourth Netflix? I, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing that. And I, they're talking to themselves, as I said earlier. They're saying, get your butt up and, and go do something physically. It'll make you feel better. People are realizing that now more than ever. <laughs> I like this. I think we're going to have a new... Um I don't know, a new ritual habit that's going to come out of this interview. We're going to all be talking to ourselves. So <laughs> when you wake up, think about Mike Riley and just say out loud the first thing that comes into your head. I like it. And when you're in that dark place, you put on that positive voice and you start talking. Give yourself a pep talk, right? <laughs> I went for a ride yesterday about, uh, I don't know, about a 30 miler. And it had a few hills in it. So I'm climbing one of them which I, I do a lot, and I actually felt better than I have a long time. So I'm up off my seat, and I'm pumping through, and, and all of a sudden, my mind went to the finish line of Kona. Nobody was there. I'm going, oh, there's the finish line. Yeah, that's Kona. Oh, that's me. I mean, I put myself as finishing in Kona. Why I would ride through the finish line, I don't know. But, but <laughs> I just took myself to another place. And then finally, when I got to the top of the hill, I go, well, that was weird, Mike. What the hell do you think of that for? Well, I must have for some odd reason subconsciously. And, but I always ask myself, what do you think of that for? What was that all about? But, you know, our mind can take us to glorious places and it can take us into holes. We just have to help direct it. We, we really do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of want to talk about the building blocks of your life because 
we don't reach these points in our life where we can kind of step back and talk about things with perspective until we've gone through things ourselves. So uh, I know you grew up in the Midwest, the lovely, dreary, (laughs) you know, eight months of clouds Midwest. I grew up in Chicago, so I feel your pain. You're from Toledo, right? Yeah, I wasn't that far. I was four hours from there, three hours. Yeah. So, um, and you have, uh, you've got brothers, right? I've got, uh, yeah, there's six of us. There's three brothers, three sisters, three and three. Got it. Okay. So where do you fall in that dynamic? Well, there's, it's like I'm first born of the second family. There was four of them. Then I came along 11 years later. And, and then, then there someone was a, else squeezed out? Yeah. Yeah. And then I squeeze, and then I got a sister a year younger. So it was kind of like two families because the four older ones were really gone uh, before, really gone. I mean, I, I was probably at what, 10, 11 and the last one what left the house. So, uh, it, it, we had two families, but it was great. It was great growing up. So you, um, basically a lot of times when you're like the fifth out of six, you're kind of forgotten, but actually you regained the full spotlight in middle school. Was that like true? Did you have a lot of, you know, parental influence as well? Yeah, uh, my mom actually taught at the grade school I went to. And so that was kind of where, you know, if I'd cut up, my dad would hear about it. Everybody in school goes, God, Riley, you can't do nothing. I go, I know, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I got I to hide to make sure my mom doesn't, doesn't uh, it was, and my sister, she was in the same boat as that. But yeah, when, once I got into high school, I wrestled in high school. That's what I found a passion for. And, and, uh, but I liked running. It was funny. I was the only one on the wrestling team that would like to go, let's go do two miles. And they'd go, two miles? Are you insane? We're running like 500 yards around the field here, and that's it. You know, I go, oh, two miles isn't bad. And I always had that runner instinct in me. My dad was a track star at Ohio State. He held the mile record uh, in Ohio for years as a high schooler. Ran with Jesse Owens at Ohio State. So my dad's got some serious uh, medals and, and things he did with the running. And he was a football player and everything. So I got the running from him because my other brothers didn't at all. But I wrestled in high school and college. But then when I got out of college, I moved to San Diego and I was playing racquetball with a guy. I played a lot of racquetball. And he goes, hey, we run on Wednesday nights at five o'clock at Balboa Park. And you're going to love this story. And I said, run, I run, I run, you know, I ran cutting weight in college and I hadn't run much since I got to San Diego. Uh, but these guys were going out for a six miler and he goes, we run six miles through the park. And I go, well, I've done four. I could, you know, that's the most I'd ever run before. I go, well, I can do six. So I show up and there's about eight guys and one girl. And I go, there's a girl running with us. I just never, I never ran with a girl. So we take off and she's in front leading, pounding. Going, come on, you guys. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. So we start running the hills of Balboa Park in San Diego. And people know they run cross-country races on it. I'm getting up. I'm getting down. I'm behind everybody, but I am still have them in sight. It was, it was so hard. I didn't walk for three days afterwards. Well, Sue Crenn took a third at the Boston Marathon the next year. That, that's who was running with us. That, that was the running talent in San Diego. So that's how I got introduced. I go, so I kept going out every Wednesday night. Then I started running on my own. And next thing you know, I was running half marathons, marathons. And, and then in, you know, early 80s, started doing triathlons with the Tinley brothers on Fiesta Island. And next thing you know, I go, I, this is cool. <laughs> this is swim, bike, run is cool. 
so this is so awesome. I love that story. I love that you your first like entree into real running, you know, not just getting out for two miles, which is still real running, by the way. I don't mean it like that, but like, you know, running with a group and whatever is like world class. Here you are. <laughs> it was. There was a lot of competitiveness in that in that group. And Dale Sutton, who took me out there, uh, had run the Western States 100. He's run it four or five times. And we get, get the buckle under 24 hours. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of we, we, we had a lot of good runners in San Diego. Tom Hunt. I mean, you know, it just was a plethora of fast. Well, and the just... triathlon, what, the Tuesday run, the Wednesday ride? And, you know, I'd go on the Tuesday run with all these tri heads in Rancho Santa Fe, and I'd just try to hang on. And Paula would be screaming at everybody to go faster. And Huddle would go, God, she can be something else. And, you know, it's just, a, and I'm just hanging on for dear life. And they're still married, right? Or did they ever get married? They got married, yeah, right? They, they did get married. Yeah, they're still married. Oh, yeah. They're oh, that's married. so funny. Um, So what, like, I moved to San Diego, like you, right after college, but it was already the hub for triathlon. And I, at 22 or 23, was like, I think I want to try that sport. You know, I came out of college swimming. I think I'm going to try triathlon. I don't have any job prospects. I'm just going to make a move in my life to where people do triathlons. So that was San Diego. But when you moved there, was this in the late 70s or early 80s? Oh, I moved in 76. So there was, there was no, you know, I was, it was just about running. Okay. So running. Yeah. So that's why you moved there. You moved there for the sports or why? I got an older brother that we would come visit him in high school. He was out here in the Navy. He's, 13 years older than I am. And uh, we'd come visit. And so I go, when I graduate college, I'm moving to San Diego. Well, I graduated in June. And I was teaching school in San Diego in September. I, I, I got out. Rose and I, she, we were married one year and she came out with me, thank God. And let's go. We had no friends, no nothing, just my brother. And then my best friend, who was the best man at our wedding, moved out. We're still, he's still here. Another guy was in the Navy from high school. He moved, he's, we're still together. So we can still get together and tell high school stories here in San Diego. But that's why I moved here. And then I got involved with the sports market here, you know, running. Oh my gosh. Okay. So wait, did you get married in college? No, no, no. We got married uh, a year after college. Okay. So yes. Wow. That's, you've been married a while. Congrats. Yeah. 40 this I think this will be 45 years. That's a big one. Yeah, this will be 45 years, yeah. Wow, and you probably got married like on New Year's when all the pro athletes do because the season's over? No, we got married in August. You know, we were only 15 years old, so that's okay. That's good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, just kidding, everybody. People go, Riley got married when he was 15. <laughs> Gosh, that's just absolutely incredible, though. Wow, cool story. So, um, so you're out there in San Diego, and you said you were teaching. I read in your book that you got a degree um, to teach special education. I was a special ed teacher in, in uh, the inner city of San Diego because I, that's where I student taught in Toledo and South Detroit. So they, they knew I had the experience. So I taught for a couple of years, but then my older brother, and he was a runner too, said, why don't we open up a running shoe store? I'll put the money in, you run it. And I, did, I didn't really want to get out of teaching, but that, that enticed me. That was just a big golden care. What? I can, I'm a runner and I can work in a running shoe store and run And that's what we did. We ended up having three, four stores eventually. And then, and they just sold them because, uh, you know, I don't know, we just sold them. And then I became a rep. So that's how I got into the business. 
What a crazy, you know, career path. Um, I want to go back really quick, though, to your time um, when you were a teacher. That's actually, first of all, there aren't that many male teachers. Yeah. You know, my kid is in second grade. Um, I grew up in Chicago suburbs in a school that had a huge special ed like division. Right. And so we had a lot of kids in there who had different disabilities and they were immersed in our culture. And um, I thought it was actually really special. Like looking back, I had friendships with them. And um, I think that's a really, it says a lot about you that you were called to do that. So I don't know. Do you, can you go that far back in time? <laughs> you know, well, in, in share college, a little more? You know, when I was wrestling in college, everybody was going through the, they were going to be a PE teacher. And I go, I don't want to be a PE teacher. I, you know, I want to, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a coach and teacher. Uh, my brother was a teacher and, and I just wanted to, so the special ed thing, when I went and did one uh, class in it, I go, I, I, I want to be able to help these kids. Well, when you're a male uh, in that era, they put me in with special needs children. Uh, I taught seventh, eighth uh, grade, and uh, they had a street IQ that was 150, but they couldn't read a, a second grade book, and they were in seventh grade. So the, the challenge was of trying to teach a kid who thought he knew everything in his world, which he did on the street. He knew that world. I mean, he had to. He had to survive in it. But yet they couldn't read. They couldn't do basic math. So it was interesting how to try to merge those two worlds in a certain way. But what I found out in that network, there's some very strong parents in it. And I would actually call Mrs. Powell because if Myron was cutting up in class, I'd call her on the phone from the and she'd come in and sit in the back of the room. All of a sudden... I commanded the room because a parent was there. So I learned a lot about uh, the inner city. I learned a lot about uh, teaching kids that thought they knew everything. And, uh, and uh, years later, I would see them be uh, vendors at the baseball games or the football games in San Diego, or I'd see them work in the toll booth. And I, I just would run into these kids years later. Mr. Riley, Mr. Riley. They always repeated my name twice. I don't know why. Mr. Riley, Mr. Riley, how you doing? You know, and, and uh, it was something else. <laughs> something else. Oh, that's so cool. You know, I found, um, I used to be a swim coach for a, a period of time too. And those roles of teacher and coach, they're so impactful. And I just, I'm, I imagine some of those kids that you, uh, that you taught even for a short period of time, you left an impact on. So it's interesting. Has anybody reached out to you later in life? No, the last time anybody reached out was about 15 years ago. So I don't know. I've just lost maybe 10 years ago, lost touch with most everybody. I'm sure a lot of them still live in the San Diego area uh, and have kids of their own. Some of them could be grandparents for all I know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that's 10 years ago. That's, that's a while after. So yeah. I'd say uh, you've been having impacts on people for a long time in your life. Um, so, so we've been talking a little bit about how when you got out to San Diego is because you wanted to participate in the sports that you were discovering as an adult, you know, running in particular and then triathlon. So you didn't just start at the finish line with a microphone in your hand. You started as a competitor and you still work out today. Um, maybe you can share a little bit about that. I'm very interested in transitions in people's lives and how identities 
how we self-identify and how that kind of ebbs, flows, and changes over the years and the things we do. So maybe you could share a little bit about your path from being the athlete crossing the line to being the person, the influence that greets them at the finish line. Well, there was really no defined transition from that one point to the next point. My brother had a big influence on me because he got me involved in Toastmasters because I was in sales. I was selling at the running shoe store and, and I loved it. I loved preparing and giving speeches and being critiqued like you cannot believe every all and um, there was a marble thrown into a silver dish that made a noise that they could hear in the next room during your speech. So it taught you to, to do away with the pregnant pauses, the ahs, the ums, the, the, the words that don't mean anything. So I like that. And then I was running races, but, and I put the story in my book. It was people asked me, why'd you pick up a microphone? Well, I, I didn't by design. I was ready to run a 10K race down at Mission Bay in San Diego, but I had a bad hamstring. So I went down there anyway, just to watch my buddies. And it was a yearly popular race. I get down there and, and the race takes off and Lynn Flanagan, God bless her soul. And her daughters still run a great uh, race management company uh, here in San Diego. And Lynn's right there with them. Uh, and she said to me, what are you doing? I go, I got a bad hamstring. I can't run. She goes, oh my God, I got this. I got this microphone and this stand-up speaker, and I figured I was just going to call their names at the finish line. And she showed me a dot matrix, if anybody, a dot matrix printout, which I thought was very cool from her new computer. Uh, and this was 78, 79. And uh, she goes, why don't you call their names? Because you know more people than I do. And I first thought in my head, Nicole, this, this is cool. I get to crank some of my buddies when they're coming through the finish line. This, <laughs> this will be cool. Well, the winner came and I congratulated him and said his time and his name, you know, looking him up manually and people started coming. And I started noticing something when I said somebody's name, they'd look around like, you know, some voice from heavens was coming down and they'd get this smile on their face and then they start running faster or start sprinting. And I go, congratulations. Great job. You ran, you know, 38 minutes and whatever the time was. And then my buddies would come in and then I had somebody come up to me afterwards and go, Hey, were you that announcer guy? I go, yeah, I, I was announcing it. Dude, that's the best thing ever. You called my name. You pronounced it correctly. I never thought I'm going to do this again. That was my first 10K. And I go, great, buddy. That's cool. And it hit me. I go, this is, this has an effect. This is something else. I, I like this. I mean, I didn't shy away from it. Uh, so the story goes, she kept asking me, but I kept running the races because I want, I was training and running. Then one day she goes, Hey, I'll give you a, she, she, I think she said, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you do this half hour. I go, you're going to pay me a hundred dollars to talk on the microphone. I'm thinking, hell yeah, I can always, I can always run the race. So, I mean, this was in the late 70, a hundred bucks. I'm going, well, yeah, Rose and I can eat for two weeks on a hundred bucks. So yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so that's how it all started. Oh my gosh. And so it started locally at running races. Um, were you also getting into triathlon yourself at that time? Yeah, we were. Every Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday or Thursday night, we'd go down to Fiesta Island and show up. And and, and myself, Murphy Reinschreiber, uh, the Tinleys, 
uh, Larry White, I mean, some guys from the Horny Toads. And what we do is say, okay, what do we want to do today? Well, let's do the bike first. So we'd ride around Fiesta Island. Then let's do the swim. Then let's do the run. We'd switch around the, just because swim, bike, run was what, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. But we'd do something different. So, yeah, we just, and then USTS came along. And I helped race direct the first one in 80, I think it was 81. And uh, it, it, just, it just started from there. And then I started getting calls from L.A. and San Francisco to go up and do races there. Uh, a lot of triathlons, a lot of r marathons, rock and roll started. And I did all the rock and roll races for 10 years. Uh, but then in 89, I got the call to come to Kona. It was like getting called to the major leagues. Are you kidding me? I come to Kona? Sure, I'll come to Kona. <laughs> wow. Okay, so who was announcing Kona before you started getting involved? Mike Plant. Mike Plant. Yeah, Mike, Mike is the one that called me. And I, I mean, I knew Mike from the 70s. He was a runner. We ran races together. He wrote, you know, San Diego Running and Triathlon News. He, he edited that and was a publisher. Uh, and he said, uh, hey, Valerie Silk uh, thinks I need an assistant for Kona. It's getting too busy. And I go, oh, okay. So we started talking. And then I was scheduled to do the race that year. And I, I kind of haw and hum. Well, Valerie called me and she goes, uh, so you, do you want to come or not? And I go, yeah, I was going to do the, she can, you, you can always do the race next year. And I said to my wife, I go, Valerie said, I do it next year. She goes, yeah, do it next year. And so they paid my way to come over, gave me some money. And, and I announced it with Mike for two years. Then he, he decided to get off the mic and the rest is history. I never did the race because I've been on the microphone ever since. Well, I was wondering, you never did the race. No, I, I, I people go, well, why, why don't you take a year off and, and do it and come back to the microphone? I couldn't do that. I just, I don't know. I, I felt it fulfilled me more to be on the microphone than, you know, and I always knew I could do it. You know, I trained like I could do it. Yeah. You know, would I make it? Well, yeah, hopefully I'd make it and, and finish. So it wasn't a matter of me going, oh, my gosh, I've got to do that or I won't be fulfilled. I was getting my fulfillment of helping others fulfill. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to relate just my personal story. The video that we started with when I mm -hmm. won Ironman Wisconsin. I what was, year was that, by the way? That was 2004. Four. Okay. And, um, and I was wearing the first skirt, you know, sure, and that yeah. launched my company. And I believe looking back that I was at the peak of my athletic life, like the strongest, fittest, fastest. I probably had years, a couple more years at that level. And within six months, never did another triathlon because I found a new passion. Mm. And that's an interesting, it reminds me of this, you know, thing that you're going through, like all the different experiences you had in sport, they started with you racing, but it just, like you said at the beginning, it wasn't this clear cut, like, well, I'm an athlete now and tomorrow I'm an announcer. It just sort of happened over time. But that one story about I was going to do Hawaii, I never did it. Instead, I have done something to me that's more fulfilling that to me basically says like, it says it all right there. The passion shifted. Yes, it did. It, it, it really shifted after 89 when I was on the microphone there and I'm, <laughs> I'm watching, I think one of the greatest 
races of all time between Mark and Dave. And then Rick and Dick Hoyt were there also. I mean, I was just going, nobody ever told me it was going to be like this. And remember, I lived in San Diego, so everybody would go to Kona. And that was my first time going to Kona. I never went and watched the race or anything. But everybody would go and come back and go, oh, Riley, you wouldn't believe it. And I'd be so jealous. And, but then when I was there in 89, I go, their words did not do this race justice after I saw it for myself. So it was easy to make that decision to stay on the microphone. Wow. Okay. So in the earlier in the interview, you talked about how you call people across the line and it's not what they did, but who they've become. And you stumbled into a sentence, a declaration that you give to people, you stamp on them when they finish. Have you trademarked your, um, your famous <laughs> announcement? You're an Iron Man. No, uh, it's like trademarking you are a Ford because it's a brand. It's a branded name, which is already trademarked. Uh, I did talk to attorneys and things like that back in the day. But then I thought, you know, it, if, if, I didn't want to be the one to say that's mine and it's nobody else's. It's the athletes. It's not any announcer that announces it throughout the world. It's for one person and one person only, that soul coming to the finish line. So uh, it was okay not to try to trademark it or have it be mine. And then other announcers, you know, 10 years ago, I, more races started coming. I couldn't do them all. So somebody, and they'd call, Mike, I, I don't know if I want to say that. Uh, why? That's what they are. No, that's yours. No, 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 no. It's not mine. I don't Really? You don't care? No, I don't care. I, I want you. I'd feel bad if you didn't say it to them and, and give it your own expression. And because you're, you're like I do, I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that finisher. That's why it seems so special to him because it's special to me. It's just not four words I'm going to ad nauseum keep pushing out. And people say, God, isn't that repetitive? Don't you get tired of saying that? No, I'm saying it to that person, that individual. I'm not, you know, just ripping it out just to rip it out. I'm having a conversation with that person. So that's why I didn't really care about registering or anything like that it, it, because it's not mine. It's theirs. I love it. And you know, you do share the story in your book and I think it might be worth uh, reiterating here on how you stumbled upon that because people dream and they've told yeah. you that they dream about you saying you are an Iron Man, you know, uh, when they cross the line. And don't and, you know what I hear it if I miss, if they, they get missed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, you do. I'm sure. You've probably got some makeups afterward. I mean, you have to pee every once in a while. Come on. But like, um, you know, it, it, they don't dream about you saying, great job. You did it. Congrats. Like those are kind of the standard phrases that we have for job well done. So how did this phrase come about? Well, at, when I was writing the book, through the years, the number one question is, so you are an Ironman, where did it come from? And, and I have the story in the book of the very first time I, I said it in 91 and why. But I, I always, when I was writing the book, what do I think about when I'm saying that? What do I, and, and so I just put it into words because, uh, I say to understand my perspective on the phrase I've ever, you know, uttered <laughs> over 400,000 times. Uh, 
I try to keep this in mind when I say it. You are an Iron Man is not an endorsement of what you did today. It's a certification of what you become. It's the last step of a rite of passage that has changed you forever and stamped you as special. You are no longer among those who have never known the gratification of an immensely difficult task done well. You've stepped through a doorway and joined a very special, very exclusive club. And no matter how the rest of your life goes, you will always be an Ironman. Doing the race was your initiation. You are an Ironman was your swearing in. And I get emotional reading that because I do know what it means to people and what it means to me. And, and I don't know everybody's backstory, Nicole, of what they battled in their lives to get to that finish line, but I know they have one. And if those words can help change someone's life or put that exclamation point on it to where they go, all right, now I can move forward. You know, when I write about Mike Ergo in my book with PTSD and when he was in after the Battle of Fallujah, you know, he put an M16 rifle in his mouth on New Year's Eve and was going to pull the trigger with a wife at home, you know, and something in him said, well, he, he didn't know how his family was going to explain his death, so he didn't do it. Well, he ended up finding Iron Man, and Iron Man saved his life. Literally, he goes, it saved my life. I know I wouldn't be here today. Got him off drugs, the whole deal. So there's hundreds of thousands of stories. And at the beginning, when you said, you know, that you could written more stories, I could have. The tough part about this book was leaving gems out. Uh, but you, I mean, I couldn't write a Bible, I, you know, so I just, you had to, you went so far and, and, uh, people want me to write another one. And I don't know if I want to do this one of the same, but I don't know. Sometimes when they want to hear more, you, you, maybe you just, you give them more, but that's what I think <laughs> of when, when I say those words. Wow. You know, you live in a world of emotion. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you get to a race a couple of weeks before you do the research. You don't just show up and like get a piece of paper and read like a robot. I mean, you've read everybody's name before they cross the line, haven't you? Yeah, about four or five times. And, and I, I, just to become familiar with them. Yeah, of course. And, and I'm sure there's various stories that are pointed out to you and you probably uncover more during race week. And it's just, it's a very emotional time. We know what it's like. There's a buzz when these athletes get together because it, this, this thing they're doing is huge. It matters. It, it is. It matters. And that's personally to share with you. That's, that's what the toughest part has been for me. I, thank goodness we had Ironman New Zealand because I got my fill there and the athletes, it was a wonderful event, but now I have really nothing to prepare for. I, I'm not looking at any databases, uh, knowing, you know, nothing in April, nothing in May, nothing in June. Hopefully Lake Placid goes in July, but who knows? And we work into the end of the year. But uh, so that's the tough part, not having that, that, you know, it's like a piece of me is gone as it is for the athletes. Uh, because I want to, I, I, I love my family dearly. They're everything to me. And I love my second family dearly, but we can't be together. You know, I think maybe there's an opportunity here for you, Mike Riley, and everybody listening to refuel ourselves during this time. Because when you have a role like you do in this world, there's a lot of taking 
you know, of you, maybe not taking of you, but a lot of you putting yourself out there for others. And so I imagine after a race, I mean, maybe this is a good question for you. Are you fully exhausted and you need time to recharge? Or are you like that classic sort of extrovert philosophy where you're like, I'm totally fueled up because I got more fuel from being around this. Like at some point, I imagine you need to protect yourself as well and not in a negative way, but in a way so that you can keep going. You can do it again and again. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm beat up physically and mentally after the race for a few days and you just want to be quiet and uh, it gives me a time to reflect, but you know, what's funny. It, it's like four or five days later, I am ready to go again. And I've done back to back weekend to weekend Ironman. Uh, I'm doing them less now just because of travel and physically it gets too tough. And I want to, you know, my voice is not a 35 year old voice anymore. So I want to make sure I take care of that. But uh, I'll go three weeks and go, I'm ready. I mean, the off season from Arizona at the end of November to New Zealand at the beginning of March. Thank goodness there's the holidays in there to fill my time and the family. But I'm ready to get back to to the races. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't take me long to come back and I'm ready to go again a week or two later. I want to get back to another event. You know, you have this um, magical ability to be energetic for at least 17 hours in a row. (laughs) Um, You know, when I was racing, I didn't get to see that side of you. I got only to see a glimpse of you, you know, at different times during the race. But last year, when we went to Kona and Tim was inducted in the Hall of Fame, so we stayed and we watched the race. And I committed to watching Roderick Sewell oh, okay. finish. And I thought it'd probably be maybe he was tracking to finish around 10 or 10.30. And he, you know, it got a little closer to the yeah. hour. So I came out and and I, and actually he was a guest on the podcast. It's a really good oh, episode. Great. Great. <laughs> Listen to that one. Um, but oh, I wow. went out and I stood, I had one of those lovely VIP passes. So I got to stand kind of in the back and I was just like a few steps lower than you in the tower. Oh, I know where you were. Yeah. You were right down in the VIP. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I would glance up occasionally and just, you were incredible. It was <laughs> nine o'clock you're on fire. It's 10 o'clock. You're on fire. I don't think you stopped to pee at all ever. I don't know how you manage that. Um, It's 11 o'clock. You're on fire. Like your energy never wavered. And um, I just find that to be incredible. I've read and that you don't do any caffeine. You know, I don't know. Like, can you, do you have any thoughts on, were you just blessed with this or are there any tips you have for people to maintain that sort of positive energy force throughout a very long day or experience? Well, I, I, the caffeine thing, I, I don't during the day any, but sometimes about nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, somebody will say, what do you want? And I don't drink anything cold because it restricts your voice. It constricts it. So I drink lukewarm water and warm Gatorade. And once in a while I have something cold, but earlier in the day, but about nine, 10 o'clock, somebody said, you want a coffee? Yeah, coffee, not for the caffeine, just for the warmth or uh, give me some tea. So I have that. But I, I don't, the, the energy, people ask me all the time, how do you keep doing it? And I, I think the biggest reason I do, I can't imagine coming across an Ironman finish line. Maybe it's better that I haven't done one. And you're not cheered for. 
The crowd's not applauding. Someone's not yelling out your name. And I know one thing for sure that's absolute at an Ironman. They're hearing us for the very first time. And I tell people, you're going to hear repetitive things all day and all night long from me and from other announcers. But remember that athletes hearing it for the first time. And they deserve everything you can give them. And I even challenge the crowd, you better go home with sore hands and sore voices. Then I know you're giving. And when, even when I say that, they go, oh, yeah, and veins are coming out of their neck. And uh, I just, you know, I, I think you, you asked earlier, you know, if, if, how long would I do something like this? And I'll know when my time's done. But I know that when I go to an Ironman race, no matter where it's at, I want to raise the level from the race before. That's all I want to do. Just raise it up a little more than the one before. And I think for 30 years, I've, I've been able to try do that. And uh, I, I don't know. that The energy, it, it, it's just amazing. I don't know how I do it. I just do it. <laughs> it's just, I just do it. You do. That's for sure. <laughs> and you, you know, know, what's funny, Nicole, is I'll have pros come back to the finish line, whether it's at Lake Placid or you know, New Zealand or Kona. And they'll come back, the winners, and put medals. And as you know, lay people the, the final hour or two. Uh, and I've had world champions come up to me at 1130 and go, dude, I had no friggin' idea. Have you been doing this all day? Yeah, yeah. Well, look at these. Is it like this all the time here? Yeah. And he goes, I have. How could these people be out there? I had Jan Fridino tell me last year. He goes, I couldn't do this. I go, you couldn't do what? You just went friggin' 750-something. What do you mean? He goes, no, I, these people are coming in in 16 hours. I could not do this. I have no idea how they do it. He was in awe of those finishers. Like, how can you be out there for 16 hours? He just can't even understand it. And I'm thinking, how could you go 750? Who, who the hell can do that? You know, so it's, it's uh, and he, you know, used to see him and others jump around at the finish line like little kids. Uh, I guess that's what I am. I'm just a little kid on the microphone having the time of my life and making sure everybody else does too. Gosh, it's about staying young, channeling that inner kid. <laughs> there's so much respect. It's so interesting to hear these stories because there's just so much respect on both sides. And when I think of you, I think a lot about the word pride comes to mind because you, you invite that feeling in for people to you know, embrace. People, people yeah. come up and go, Riley, you can never retire. I go, hey, dude, I can't. He goes, I don't care. This guy says this to me last year. I think it was, whiskey. I don't care if you're sitting down with an oxygen tube in your nose and, and keeled over. I better hear you. You can do it till you're 90. We'll just make sure you're in a tent and everything. I go, you are nuts. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we actually need a little comic relief right now because this right. is a very kind of serious time in, in our lives. So tell me about some funny mishaps, some stuff that's happened on the job. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I, sometimes I go back and read bits of the book and, and I go, yeah, that's right. I wrote about that. Then I remember another story. But there was a guy coming in at uh, Ironman, I think it was Louisville. And it's, he was probably 30 years old, <clears throat> comes in, he starts slowing down, which some people do, you know, the high five and everything. Nobody else was in the shoot. Stops. He's looking at the finish line and he starts bending down and puts his hand on his waistband of his pants. And I'm going, no way. That dude's going to, he's going to moon the crowd. 
you know, I, I, I couldn't believe he was going to pull down his pants and move the car. I just knew he was. And as he's going down, my dad voice came out. I mean, my boy, I go, don't you dare. You'll be disqualified for life. That's what I said. That's the only thing I could think of. Like I could disqualify him for life. He stopped midstream uh, down and the crowd, like half the crowd's going, that dude, you know, I got 11 year old kids in there with a mom, and dad, and this guy's going to moon everybody. And, uh, as soon as I said, you're going to be disqualified for life. I mean, I must have, I know I yelled it because it actually strained my voice. I really, I really yelled like I shouldn't, but I did. And, uh, he straightened up, looked at me, just gave me a smile and a point and ran on in. And, uh, I, I never saw the guy or anything like that, but I go, Oh my God, thank God. I, it, somebody said, can you disqualify somebody for life? No, I can't disqualify somebody <laughs> for life, but I sure as hell can tell them they're going to be disqualified for life. So, and then the crowd roared when he came in, you know, it just, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm sure you just have like beyond so many oh, stories. People coming in and, and, uh, uh, the guys would come in and they'd come right back to the finish line. I didn't hear you. And I got others coming in. I go, I said it, dude. You know, I, I lip it to him. I said, I got, just got you. You're good. No, but I didn't hear it. And then others would be coming in and I got to take care of them. And one guy just kept standing there. Finally, the photographer, I think it was Robbie Little, uh, from finisher picks, they, he goes, he called you. I heard it. It'll be on video. And the guy listened to it and goes, oh, okay. And walked away. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he wanted me to say it to him twice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's what I thought he wanted. Ah. He wanted it again, but uh, he got it. Oh my gosh. I've had, I've had little kids, not little, you know, I've had 13, 14 year olds re lean over the fence and fall into the finish line. And uh, one did it. And he, stood up with this scared look and his mom's there like with a holy crap she had a look on her face just about ready to grab him and i go hey hey you this means you have to do an iron man when you're 18 and the kid's shaking his head yes okay and his mom grabs him brings him over the fence <laughs> whether he did I, I don't know but you know so. oh my gosh all right kid what race was that do you remember i don't remember what any idea yeah Oh, if you, you know, you know, what we should do here is have people write in their favorite uh, Mike Riley stories. So we'll do that when we post this. I'll ask for people to write in their favorite stories. You can, you can take in some more, you know, glory and accolades because you deserve it. You make people feel special, and I can't imagine a better role to have in this world. Oh well, that's very sweet of you, Nicole. I, I yeah, I, I, I feel special because. Uh, I get to help somebody else feel special. That's why you just, you know, it's in giving that you receive truly uh, throughout your entire life. It's in giving that you receive. And if you, if you can't give of yourself, uh, then something's really missing. And that's why I think we're going to get through this time because we're giving to our families, our kids, we're doing what we need to do to take care of ourselves. And it's a hard give but it has to happen because we'll receive at the end of this. I think we'll be okay. The world may change and we may live differently. And I don't know when the next time is I'll be shaking somebody's hand or high-fiving them at a finish line. Uh, but uh, I, I hope one day that comes back because that's everything. I mean, that's, that's everything. 
Well, we're, we're hitting our finish line soon here. I have a couple more questions. Well, you know, um, I'm the guy that goes 17 hours. So don't I know. Worry about me. <laughs> I, I mean, we may as well just keep going. Jeez. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a long life we're living here, right? And you're, you're eternally youthful. You can have many more careers. Is there something that you have not yet done in this life that it's pulling at your heart and you know you need to tackle it someday? Wow. I don't know if I'd ever tackle it, but it's always been a passion. I would love to uh, act in a play, you know, be a, be a, not, I'm not, I don't want to be on TV or the movies, but I would love to see if I could pull off a character. Uh, I think there's some characters I've had actors who have done Iron Man go, Riley, you'd be a good football coach. And I go, what? Oh yeah. You could play the football coach. And, and I, I think actors can slot other people into roles just because they've seen so many. And, uh, I don't know. I'd, it'd be cool to be in a stage play and see if I could pull off a role and uh, convince people. I'm, I'm sure I could, you know, I, I can't be Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman, but I, I sure could sell something maybe in a role. But uh, I don't know. That's always been kind of a, a hidden passion to be able to do something like that. It's so cool. Have you talked about that publicly before? Never. Oh, we're going to make it happen. I'm buying a ticket to that play. I'm buying a ticket to that play. Well, have um, your agent call my agent. And then maybe we're <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. All right. Well, we, we really have rocked it out today. And um, yes. gosh, Beautiful. I, I'm happy. I'd love to have you on once a week right now. <laughs> maybe we'll make that happen too. Um, but let's wrap it up with the final question I ask everyone that comes on the show. And that is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would yours be? I said it earlier. You're the cause of your own experiences. Uh, if you take responsibility for those experiences, they're going to define you and they'll make you very strong. You know, uh, it, one of my most favorite authors, Bryce Courtney, who wrote The Power of One, put in that book, what you are shouts so loud that what you say need not be heard. Think about that. You don't need to brag or use your words. You know, your actions define you and, and, and what you are defines you. So, you know, let your experiences be yours and positive and remember that you're responsible for them. So making them positive. You, we don't want negative experiences, so don't create them. Create positive ones. Perfect way to end it. Thank you for being a bright light to all of us in this sometimes crazy world. We all feel more connected because of you, Mike. Well, Nicole, you, you filled me up with this talk and, and what you've done for our sport and your entrepreneurship uh, through the years it has been unrivaled. And, and when you did leave, God, I, I didn't know the date 2004 or five. And I always thought you'd like come back and aid and do one or come back. But now I know your passion was, was skirt sports. And, and I understand that completely, but I always thought Nicole's going to be back one day. She'll get the itch and, and come back to Wisconsin and, you know, try to do it again. Oh. Maybe I'll have to come back with a mic. I can become your protege. <laughs> we'll just pass the torch. There you go. There awesome. You go. Well, the circle keeps going. So thanks again. Stay safe and stay healthy. And give a give a Iron Kid hug to Wilder for me, okay? I will. All right. 
Oh my gosh, everybody. I know what your next goal is. It's going to be an Ironman. <laughs> Someday you're going to have to have him call you across the line. Mike Riley is the coolest guy. He is absolutely amazing. When you listen to him, that is what living your passion sounds like. Wow. And his path has been awesome. He's had all kinds of crazy experiences. And he has laser focused himself onto that thing that brings him the most joy, which he doesn't even call a job. It's what we all aspire to. You know what I love about him? You know what I challenge all of us to do right now? It's this phrase, let's raise it up a little more than the one before. That's it. Who's got to raise it up a little more, whatever it is. All right. You hear me? You got to do it. Um, I say get over and buy his book, Finding My Voice. Check out his website. Definitely keep tabs on the races he's going to be announcing. Um, Mike Riley is somebody that you all want to have a little more of in your life. Um, on a separate note, get over to skirtsports.com, my amazing company that I started 15 years ago. We are we are, holy cow, we've got the best deals going on in town right now. And uh, I really want you to be a part of this because who knows what the future holds out there for any small business. So get on over to Skirt Sports so that you can at least try our amazing products. Um, I can guarantee you're going to be happy that you did. All right, everybody, that is it for today. As always, reach out, share the love, share this episode. If you want to support me, I want you on my team. Head over to Patreon and uh, check out my page there. It's just patreon.com backslash Nicole DeBoom. I am creating more positivity in this world. That is my goal. All right, everybody, that's it for today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week. Bye.